Hey there, Lucas here. Just before we start this week's episode, I wanted to warn you, there's a little bit of explicit language in the middle of it. Don't worry though, it's all in the name of science. Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Jesse. And this is the first ever live edition of Double Blind. (laughs) Yeah, we're actually in the same city. For the first time since we started this podcast. In the same room for the, the first time room. since we started this podcast. Oh. Also, here's Kelsey. Hi. She's here too. She's our special guest, a good friend of ours from Victoria. Do you want me to say something now? Like, what, what do I say? <laughs> and we're, we're expecting we're mostly going to get heckled and hopefully asked some good questions. At any rate, because this is still the intro and we're supposed to be telling you what we're doing. Each week, if you don't know, because you haven't listened, this is your first time tuning in, we pick a breaking new scientific study, we put it into context for you, and we explain exactly what happened and why it really matters. So if you're curious, come with us. We think it'll be a lot of fun. This week on Double Blind, you are what you tweet, how scientists can guess how you'll vote by how you talk on Twitter, and hard-headed, striking rates of brain disease in former football players. Jesse, why don't you get us started? You got it. So we've got an election coming up. Yeah, we've got an election, well, really, both Canada and the States at the moment. Yeah, uh, all of North America is in crazy election season, I guess. Is Mexico too? Um, no, that's a... I have no <laughs> idea, actually. I don't bit know. Bit of a different kettle of fish, actually. We're obviously thinking a lot about politics here, and mm-hmm. the conversations are really going around about which parties people are aligning with, or in the case of this election, a lot of it's driven by strategic voting. But either way, politics are definitely in the sort of mind space and zeitgeist right now. Politics have been an intensely studied area for a long time, obviously, because who who ends up running a government has a pretty huge effect on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been studied by science for quite a long time. We know that people with similar political leanings tend to share certain traits, right? People might say, oh, liberals are all like this, or conservatives tend to be like this. Sure, stereotypes. Yeah, we can all think of some of these stereotypes. Yeah. And it's definitely been studied and actually proven that certain traits tend to be shared amongst people with with similar political beliefs. I've heard that political leaning is like one of the strongest predictors of success of a relationship. Yeah. Really? I totally believe that. There's So one of the common, this is a little bit of a tangent, but one of the common current ways of classifying personality, which is a very, very tough thing to classify, is the idea that there's like, there's a big five types of traits extroversion, neuroticism. I, I, f- I forget what they all are, but there, there's five five traits that people can be classified on where they fall on the scale. Uh, I like that those were the two that you remembered. Extroversion <laughs> and neuroticism. <laughs> do, they, do they maybe apply to you? No, I don't know. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. Um, but I, what, what's interesting is that I know that some of these studies have found that which parties politically people side with tend to correlate to at least three of those five traits. So it's definitely something that has a huge effect on personality. Or vice versa. Personality has a huge effect on political leaning. Right. So uh, that's sort of getting away from things. At any rate, most of the time, political psychology experiments and studies are done with surveys or specific experiments on individuals. Those surveys and experiments, those are great ways to get data. That's how we perform most scientific studies. But there's definitely a couple drawbacks to using, for instance, self-filled out survey data, which I'm sure you guys can imagine. Yes, absolutely. We're we're talking about essentially polling people. Yes. Yeah, okay. 
Now, this isn't necessarily just polling. It's like phone call. These are like scientific studies okay. where people are answering detailed personality questions or answering yeah, very, very specific questions, rating personality traits or tendencies to do certain things. So they're very scientifically valid, but mm-hmm. they succumb to all the same problems that any self-reported study does. It's the whole um, uh, quantum physics thing where people are would, aware they're being observed, they're going to behave differently, right? Right, totally. Uh, when they, people know that the results are being saved, they're going to respond differently. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the issues. Uh, it's also expensive. You got to bring people in. It, it tends to result in smaller sample sizes for mm-hmm. those sorts of studies. And the trouble with politics is that you just need huge numbers to get accurate data because there are so many outliers, right? In a way, everybody's an outlier. Yeah. Uh, it's such a difficult thing. That's why polls are so inaccurate. So this new study out of London has turned to the internet home of special snowflakes, Twitter, to. <laughs> Uh, deal with their next political psychology study. Okay. So they had one question, which was, is there a difference between how conservatives and liberals talk? All right. So what they say on Twitter, the words they what use, they say the on way Twitter. they yeah. say it. How do they talk? Okay, question. Okay. Does, this, does this include political tweets? Because, I mean, I know a lot of people who just tweet political stuff all the time. So that's a really good question. This is not just political tweets. They just want to know, in general... Is there a difference between the way that liberals versus conservatives just speak? So this is linguistics, not what they're sharing. Exactly. This has nothing to do with talking about... They're not looking for keywords that are like, you know, anti-political... Well, in a way they are. I'll get to that in a second because it's kind of interesting. So they looked at... Now, you know the sort of sample sizes we're used to with survey things and how much they tend to cost. Yeah. With this study, they looked at almost 11,000 users' timelines. Big survey. Big survey. Huge survey. Yeah. And that was just the final number they ended up with. They started with a much wider net that they cast initially. Mm -hmm. So they picked people who were following either three American Democratic Party Twitter accounts or three American Republican Party Twitter accounts. Okay. So this is, they used the accounts they were following to determine their political leanings. Exactly. I mean, it just seems dangerous to me. Like... I follow people I don't agree. I, I'm sure most people do mm-hmm. follow people they agree with ideologically. So I'm sure like if you have a big sample size, that's yes. what you get. But it just feels weird because I definitely follow people I don't agree with because yeah. you following Kanye is really, really funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like watching a spiral you don't, you don't agree with Kanye? craziness. No. <laughs> that's another story. So their working theory was if you're following th- the three most official – congressional Republican or Democratic Party Twitter accounts, if you're following all three of those, it's pretty likely that you're getting those updates because you want to see them rather right. than because, you know, you find them interesting because most people just do not find. Yeah. People want to see their own viewpoint, yeah. not the opposite. That's the whole confirmation bias thing, right? Totally. Um, and I mean, we, we can talk a little bit afterwards about how accurate of an assumption that is. But mm-hmm. that is the assumption that they're going on. The idea is if you're following these three official accounts, it's pretty likely that you're doing it because you really want to see their updates because you probably support the party. That was, that was the logical progression, which I can get behind. Yeah, yeah I'll, for I'll, sure. We can I'll believe that for the, for the, for the for sure. So there, there is a precedent here for looking at personality information from Twitter. But my first thought when I started reading this was, can you really tell anything about someone's personality by looking at tweets? Mm-hmm. And according to previous studies, yes, you actually can. Okay. So a few studies in the last couple of years proved that tweets do tend to accurately depict your personality, meaning you can infer someone's personality from the way they talk on Twitter. Uh, uh, well, what can you infer about their personality? What? 
I didn't look into detail into these studies, but sure. what they did is looked at people's tweets and compared that to self-filled out surveys. Oh, okay. And found that there was definitely a correlation there. Just in the way they spoke. In the way they spoke on Twitter. Right. And these are using word analysis algorithms. So are we talking about stuff so fundamental as like the length of word you use and the type of word you use? I've, I've, I've definitely seen stuff like that before where the amount of time that you say I in a sentence is like completely correlated to... Yeah. And that's a big one, which we'll be getting to in a second. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, okay, cool. I is, you, you jumped onto one of the biggest results of the study, um, which is the type of pronoun used. Oh. So we'll get to that in a second. Okay, cool. Um, I'm excited. So let's, let's back up a second to, to sort of put ourselves in the mindset of the scientists. So at the beginning of this, they started with a hypothesis, like you do in all good studies. Mm-hmm. So ba- and they, they based their hypotheses on previous findings, right? They, say, they said, based on all of these previous studies that have happened, we think we'll find this, this, and this. And what they expected was this. They expected that the liberals' language would tend to emphasize their perception of uniqueness, have more swear words, <laughs> have more anxiety-related words, oh, and more feelings-related words. They expected that conservatives' language would emphasize group membership, contain more references to achievements, and more references to religion. So just remind me quickly, where is the study, like, taking place? The study was based out of London, but it was looking at users who were following American political party Twitter. Oh, okay. Specifically congressional, the congressional arms of them. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that that is a really good question. So to to get the sample... Mm-hmm. The researchers started by getting all the followers of the Twitter accounts at GOP, at House GOP, and at Senate underscore GOPs. Okay. So those are GOP, two- Grand Old Party, Republican. Yes. Cool. Exactly. Uh, and then they also, on the other side, got at the Democrats, at House Democrats, and at Senate Dems, which are the three big Democratic ones. Senate Dems. Dems. Senate Dems. Yes. So <laughs> then they had to do some cleaning because Twitter is full of a lot of bad data and bad People. Are these all the, um, how do I say this nicely, um, junk accounts that always follow me? There are a ton of the, junk accounts. The yeah, sexy Russian women who yeah. want to follow me. There's so many singles in your area, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. So and there's also a lot of just like weird theme accounts, like totally dad. Yeah. Or ones like, or ones spitting out from like squirrel or yeah. whatever. So they removed users who followed. Both any in both of those categories to eliminate people who they wouldn't be sure who they were following. Okay. So then they took 17,000 accounts randomly from each group Mm -hmm. and they did a bunch more cleaning. So they found people who only tweeted recently, who had English listed as their language on their Twitter page. Okay. Had more than 25 tweets. Yeah. Then they used algorithms to clean up and remove emoji, white space, emoticons, URLs, retweets, and stuff like that from the actual text itself. And only kept in tweets that had more than 25 characters left after removing all of that stuff. These sound like really smart ways to do it. This yeah. Sounds, this sounds actually, really, yeah. I was really I'm, impressed with how thorough the process of cleaning up the tweets was. After all of that initial cleaning, they were left with about 5,400 users for each party group. So then what they had to do was validate their data, which means check to make sure that the people that they were left with in those groups were kind of matching up with people who seem to align with those political parties. Okay. Okay. Sure. So this is kind of just checking. This is just a sanity check. Mm -hmm. Do the 5,000 people we have in the GOP category actually act like GOP people? Okay. Right? So what they did is they picked a bunch of political buzzwords 
like Benghazi, God, Birther, Obamacare, and Bridgegate. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and they, okay. they ran algorithms that checked for the prevalence of those words in the two groups. And they found that they were indeed considerably more common in the expected groups. The Democrats talked about Bridgegate a lot more. The Republicans talked about Benghazi a lot more. Uh, and they complained about Obamacare a lot more. So great success. Everything's looking good so far. Yeah. But then they had a lot of trouble actually analyzing the data because it's really hard to tell how someone's personality is by how it comes out in speech, especially the the garbled, I don't even know, can you, like, shortened this words. As a speech? Well, yeah, that's the thing is Twitter's so full of everyone shortening words and talking weirdly to condense information to fit into mm-hmm. the character limit, right? So they, they they looked a lot at previous research to figure out how to do that. Um, but that was one of the bigger challenges that they hit, was trying to even figure out what exactly they were looking for to prove their hypothesis correct. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, they thought that the conservatives would tend to use more positive words, since studies had found that conservatives tend to be slightly happier than really? liberals. Um, oh. But then a study came out while they were doing this that found that happiness level actually doesn't correlate at all to happiness expression, and that even oh. people who tend to be happier often tend to complain more. Huh. So... Then they had to, they actually reversed that hypothesis. How would you even measure happiness? Really? I mean, how would you what do they're, that? Well, what, that's a really good question. Because like, <laughs> yeah. you can't measure happiness. There's no way to do it. What, what, what they Self-reported, were, what, which yeah. comes back to a whole other... Well, yeah, self-reporting is pretty much the only way you can actually determine someone's happiness. And, and that's you, what Twitter is. Yeah, Twitter is all is. self-reported. What they're looking for here is use of positive versus negative words. The idea is if you think about people you know who tend to be positive... You know, upbeat people who talk in positive language a lot, they tend to be happier in general than the people who tend to be complaining all the time, talking negatively about things. And that, that's sort of a general anecdotal observance. So because this was such a challenge for them, they, uh, in, their, in their results, they marked the differences between their predicted outcomes and then areas that they just called exploratory because they had no idea really what they meant. They right. were just like, okay. we found this stuff. We consider this area an exploratory area because we don't really know what to predict because we don't know what that means. Sure. So, let's look at the results they got. The Democrats, first of all, follow a lot more accounts for some reason. Democrats just follow a lot more people on Twitter than than the Republicans do. Um, About 50% more. Uh, Wow. The researchers attributed this to a tendency towards extroversion. One of of those big personality traits. Okay. Sure. That Democrats tended to be a little bit more extroverted and tended to try and reach out to and contact and be aware of the information from more people okay um but that is just a guess the word frequency stuff is the most interesting here because then that's the meat of this study and what they found Mm -hmm. so first they did something called stemming which is where they put all the words with the same stem together and that's just so that words like waiting weighted and wait all fall under the same category and they're not listed separately right there's so many ways you can talk about something in slightly different word forms they found words that had the biggest differences between the two groups. This is, this is the meat of it. <laughs> Here are some of the top words that turned up in the GOP results after they removed common English words that appeared in both. I'm really excited okay. about this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, ready for this? Yeah. Rhino. Lib. Which could be liberal, liberate. It could, right, because that's the stem. So right. it could have been a lot of things. Defund. Will. God. State. Benghazi. Country, phony, defund, Obamacare, administration, border, impeach, Psalm. Is that how you say it? Psalm, yeah. Psalm, yeah. Psalm, Obama, and illegal. Wow. Those were some Rhino. of the big ones. Rhino. Why Rhino? Rhino? Is that their logo? No, is their logo? That's no, that's an, an elephant. elephant. So I have no idea. 
Was there like a news thing about rhinos? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that's, that one. It's can, number one? Can we just like fig- figure this out? That's so yeah, weird. Yeah, let's look at that. Like, Republican in name only is a pejorative term used by conservative members of the Republican Party to describe Republicans who do not behave Republican. Oh, oh. so it's not like an actual rhino. It's no, like no, R-I-N-O. It's, yeah, it's, it's an, an acronym. acronym. It's an acronym. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Used to describe Republicans whose political views or actions they consider insufficiently conservative. Oh. Makes sense. Interesting, eh? Interesting. Those are the GOP ones. Okay. Uh, Democratic words. Can you guys guess any of them out of curiosity? Bullshit? (laughs) Shit was one of them. Shit was one of them. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. Shit was one of the top used Democratic words. Fuck is also in there. Okay. So so they swear a lot. Yes. Okay. Um, Wat, W-A-T, is also in there. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like, it's an expression of like... <laughs> consternation yeah. but yeah. In, in Twitter yeah. land. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a very Twitter type expression yeah, of like, what is this? What? In terms of feelings related words, one of yeah. them literally is feel. The word feel turned up all the time, probably in the context of I feel. Yeah, most likely. Love was in there. Aw, Democrats are um, just such softies. Life. Life. Some okay. of the other ones, just for fun. Uh, Cheney <laughs> was talked about a lot. Yeah. Favorite album realist. Like al- album. album, album. They probably just. They a might be bunch talking. Of vinyl heads? They <laughs> might be talking about music more. Um, realist strategy journey love, lol, lol, feel fuck like watch shit, women and life, and then a couple of other strange the ones. The Democrats have way more fun. A, co- yeah, a couple of do, other strange they? ones. I want to hang out with them. Kenya, Arsenal, and World Cup. Because the sample was taken during the 2014 World Cup. Of course, yeah. So Kenya, Arsenal, and World Cup turned up on that list. And because, as it turns out, Democrats watch a lot more soccer. Huh. So those are the words wow. that we got from these. Okay, cool. Interesting, eh? Yeah, very. Um, there obviously are a ton more. Those are just mm-hmm. kind of the ones that they publish in the, in the paper in a nice chart for people to look at because they're kind of amusing to read. The, the big flags that they got from the Republican words that showed up were the use of religion words and tentative words. Tentative words. Tentative like? words. Maybe, uh, probably. They, they okay. didn't, they didn't, sure. they didn't yeah. tend to hedge things, or they tended to hedge things rather than stating things as fact. The Republicans, okay, sure. Um, yeah. And plural pronouns. We, us, a lot of that. Whereas the Democrats, the big, mm-hmm. the big flag words there, were first-person singular pronouns. I, me, much, much more. Um, which matched with their hypothesis that the Democrats would be talking more about themselves, huh. right? The, that idea of uniqueness that's been shown in studies that Democrats tend to find themselves, think of themselves as more unique. Very interesting. Um, than Republicans. Swear mm. words turned up more, obviously. Positive emotion words and words of anxiety turned up a lot more. <laughs> yes. Uh, and those all match up with previous research into how people of those political leanings tend to see themselves and hmm. uh, and talk. Yeah. Uh, now let's talk a bit about the problems with the study. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the big ones I see right off the bat reading this are, uh, I, I had three obvious ones that I saw. Were mm-hmm. Twitter is noisy. It's full of weird, weird information that doesn't necessarily reflect how people actually talk. Yeah. Um, it skews really young. And therefore, as you mentioned, I would I would assume that Twitter skews more Democratic than Republican. The the last the last thing is that the context or the meaning of tweets wasn't taken into account, right? So this is just words. People could easily be talking about 
people of the other party or whatever. Like well, it sounded like they were more talking about people of the other party that's than totally their true, own. true, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it, I mean, that's sort of something I got from those words. Like, the Republican words were things like Benghazi and Obamacare. Yeah. And it was sure true for their sanity check where they were complaining about something. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. I mean, what do, you, what do you guys think of the, the validity and the future of getting large swaths of data from how people talk on Twitter? Because like, it's an interesting concept, right? They got a huge sample yeah. size very cheaply and very quickly. They, they collected, right? They collected 11,000, approximately 11,000 participants' results in two days in 2014. Did they, did they just, I mean, tweets are public, yeah. right? Yeah. So did they just take them? Yep, just use an They didn't API. have to get I, any kind of... Little Python app. Interesting. I mean, Twitter's okay. a great source of data, and I'd love yeah. to see trends over time on issues mm-hmm. I from think that's this. that's one that's, of the big ones, is changes over time, because yeah. those... Those are only, they only have to be internally consistent, right? This, we're trying yes. to, like, control for how people talk in the outside world, which is really tough. Yeah. But if we're looking at how people talked a year ago on Twitter versus now, yeah. that's going to be more reflective of a realistic change, right? This is this is super interesting to me from a kind of a historical perspective. Because, I mean, when it comes to science, trying to come up with any kind of conclusion from, from this kind of thing is difficult, yeah. Right, but but from a historical perspective, have, looking at trends and looking at what people are talking about and looking at all of that kind of social context for a time period is super, yeah, super yeah. interesting. And I I do think this is the way of the future. Really, that that was oh, the yeah. biggest thing. The, the polling of the future, this. the way to is, figure out yeah. what the trends are on ideas. How yeah. freaking easy it was to collect this data. That blows my mind. Yeah. Right, eleven thousand eleven thousand data points in two days they collected. Yeah. that is bonkers. Yeah. The funny thing about talking about psychology or social science or any of those things is people are always saying that it's a soft science and that, you know, you can't control for all the variables, but you can certainly predict behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can certainly predict behavior because you can see so many patterns. Emerge. They sure did here, right? Like yeah. very accurately predicted it's crazy. what they were going to see. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, 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 very neat. Maybe this is the way of the future. Who knows? Uh, everybody check the terms of agreement on Twitter if you are not okay being mined for scientific research. Also, well, just don't share your opinions so publicly. Remember <laughs> everybody that, shut up! Just remember... <laughs> no, share, share, share your opinion. If you're quiet. not okay with this, remember that Twitter's public and yeah, that's all your tweets thing. can be read by anyone. Just yeah. remember yeah. that. So at least now they're being used for good. Yeah. yeah. If you wouldn't be okay with it being on the front page, you know, you said right. this thing, tomorrow don't say Pretend, yeah. pretend reporters are... Are we lecturing people yes. now? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, pretend reporters I, are all listening water, to everything you will say. Here, but there's, there, there's people up there. What, what is this paranoid? Paranoid now? Like, they're everywhere. And now it's time for the abstracts. Two quick little headlines before we tackle our last big one. Jesse, why don't you get us started? Sure. So, a new study has found that giraffes hum to each other at night. That is the cutest thing. It's adorable. So, it was previously thought that giraffes were unable to produce any substantial sounds because it would be physically difficult for them to make a lot of airflow through their long necks to make vocalizations. Yeah, I have no idea what sound a giraffe makes. But, lo and behold, this new study has found that they hum to each other at night at about 92 hertz, so it's just within human hearing. They think that it could be passively produced, kind of like snoring or in a dreamlike state. 
uh, or humans talking in their sleep or dogs barking in their sleep. Yeah. So the um, headline of humming to each other might not be a real thing. Yes, exactly. They, so they, they hum. They're for snoring. Sure. They're making this vocalization. It's a giraffe snore. We don't know, but we don't know. That's the whole thing. So the, the researchers think that it also could be a way for them to communicate with each other in the dark because they have really poor night vision. Like, yo, I'm over here. Yeah. Yeah. So this week, the 2015 Ig Nobel Awards were given out at Harvard University. Uh, if you haven't heard of the Ig Nobel Awards, these are given to scientific work that first makes you laugh and then makes you think. Um, I have okay. also heard That's them. Fantastic. I've heard yeah. them described heard as the awards for scientific discoveries of questionable value. <laughs> so, That's a good way to describe so it. So we've got a few from this year. There's there's lots that won. Here's just a few samples. Okay. So this year's winners include physicists who found that nearly all mammals on Earth empty their bladders in 21 plus or minus 13 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's a remarkable consistency in the rates of urination for many, many mammals, nearly all of them. So, can I? Do you guys time yourselves while you're peeing? Do you count no. seconds? Do no, but I do I'm that. going to. What? Why? Really? I do. You that have the data all for this? The time. Yeah, and that sounds more or less accurate. Like when I have to, <laughs> when I have to go, like 20 seconds is about. You don't do. No. Why would you do that? Because so, what else are you gonna do while you're peeing? It's totally boring. You just count. The next winners were biologists who found that chickens walk like dinosaurs if you put an artificial tail on them. And they did this by attaching a stick to their butt and making them walk. Like they just, they attach the stick onto their butt? Yeah. So, so, oh, that's really cool. So it's like if there's more weight If there's there, more weight there, they walk okay. like a dinosaur. First, okay. Dude, who who does this surprise? Have, has anybody seen a chicken? They're tiny dinosaurs. Okay, I'm still getting over the fact that the first time you said it, I, in my head, they stuck the stick up the chicken's butt. <laughs> and so I was going, like, I would walk like a dinosaur if you put a stick up my butt. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd be like, <laughs> you'd, you'd be doing that, that thing with your hands. <laughs> that, that's pretty standard, like, someone's put a stick up my butt fair for me. And, and I'll, I'll choose one more from the Ig Nobel okay. Awards. <laughs> These are great. A team of doctors created the Schmidt Sting Pain Index by having 25 bees sting, <laughs> sting one brave volunteer <laughs> on various places all over his body. Various places. Wait, so, so, so his name was Schmidt, right? Get, get this. The researcher who did it's name was Schmidt. The volunteer didn't get his name on the pain index. So his we, name was Michael. We don't, know, we don't know what his name is. Oh no, we do. He got a he got a co-recipient so of the award. Okay, so his name is Michael. Yes, his name was Michael. And but tell me about the various places. So they they ranked them from least to most painful. The least painful were his his skull, uh, the tip of his middle toe, and his upper arm. And the top three most painful places on his body were his upper lip, uh, mm. his nostril, and, of course, the shaft of his penis. Oh, God! <laughs> he was waiting for it! So, okay, so that, <laughs> that brings to mind a couple of questions. Okay. I have some serious scientific questions. Yeah. One is, so the shaft of his penis is one of the most painful. painful. Yeah, most painful. Did they also yeah. check the tip of his penis? I don't like, know. I don't have that points? information. Okay. 
So those are three of my favorites uh, from this year's Ig Nobel Awards. Uh, you can see links to all of this year's winners at our website, doubleblindscience.com, and they are worth a read-through for sure. Um, so, Lucas, next story is yours. Totally. Okay. I've got to warm up my pronunciation muscles here. Today, we're going to talk about chronic got that one yep traumatic yeah i got that one encephalopathy encephalopathy Nailed that's it. a great word Nailed Dude, it. i was yeah. practicing all afternoon chronic traumatic encephalopathy say it five times fast chronic traumatic encephalopathy or cte as we're going to refer to it in the rest okay, of yeah. the Much story easier. for sure um it sounds complicated but you can break it down to its words um chronic it persists for a long time yep Traumatic trauma has occurred really to sucks. cause it. Yeah, and encephalopathy is the complicated that, that one. That one I need. Is it something a brain? It's a brain thing. Yeah, it's a brain thing. Exactly. It just refers to a general disease of the brain. Okay. So, like a bike accident. Well, yeah. I mean, this like usually, a, like you get hit you, on the head. This yeah, you get hit on the head, but this usually refers to repetitive. Injuries. Okay. Oh, so, okay. So this was something that was first noticed um, okay. in the 1920s in boxers. That makes sense. Mm. And I can see why. And it had okay. the term being punch drunk. Oh. And since then, we've learned a lot more about it, and we've actually created a medical term for it. So Chronic punch drunk. Oh, punch wow. drunk. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So that, this. That blows my mind. This. It's great. So, yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. It's a great symptoms, term. Okay. symptoms include, I mean, the sort of things you might expect from someone who looks kind of drunk. They include depression, memory loss, confusion, agitation, impaired judgment, loss of balance. Right. So it totally makes sense. When I was a kid, I really thought punch drunk was being drunk off punch. <laughs> like the longest I, time. I mean, I've been to weddings where a lot of people by that definition have been very punch drunk. Yes. yes. I mean, you know, somebody expect the punch you're punching. But no, it's being, being drunk off being punched. <laughs> I know. Right? Which is yeah. so much worse. Anyway, yeah. continue please. Worse. Um, and to be clear... A lot of these symptoms can, you know, sound like a concussion, which also gets right. caused. But this is different than a concussion. How so? This is not something that presents itself immediately after you get hit on the head. These are symptoms that don't present themselves until years or decades after the trauma has occurred. Okay. And they persist. They don't go away. Right. Okay. So more recently than the whole uh, boxing uh, concern is concerns growing. Um, for CTE affecting a lot of athletes in other sports. Sure. Primarily football. football. Exactly. You got it, Kelsey. So recently, a study out of Boston University examined 91 former NFL players for signs of CTE. Now, CTE causes brain tissue to gradually degrade and a right. particular protein called tau, T-A-U, to okay. build up. So... I mean, the issue is to definitively diagnose CTE, you need to look for both of these things. You need to look for the degradation and, and the buildup. Buildup of protein. Okay. And the issue is the only way we currently know how to do that is in an autopsy. Oh, interesting. So the studies on this sample size is relatively small. 91 is pretty good. So, yeah, okay. These, so are, these are all 91 brains donated after death. Okay, yeah. From former yeah. NFL players. Yes. Yeah. Um, and... The other thing is these are also former players. This is 
a while after they played football. Right. They would have retired. They would have retired, and now they're so. If somebody somebody has that kind of behavior, there's no way to tell if they have this beforehand. Yeah. So it's really hard. Um, Mainly, the thing it's concerned or concerned with, confused with, is Alzheimer's disease. And you can't definitively tell the two apart until after death. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. Totally. So, like, brain scans look the same? Brain scans, there are indications, and that is a goal with research, is to get this from brain scans, but currently they can't do it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. There was, there's some indication, I read a few sources that say they're getting there with brain scans, but the definitive, you know, study group out of Boston University, which is, right, seems like to be, like, the world leader in this research, says, no, you can't (laughs) do it. Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. They looked at 91 brains. 87 of them had CTE. Whoa. So, so all 91 of them were from football players. Yeah. So they looked at 91 brains from former NFL players. Yes. And, and 87. 87 of them had CTE. That's, that is huge. So that's a rate of 96%. Holy cow. So basically, for this incredibly if you play rare, football, you will have CTE. Well, here's here's the issue. I mean, not to get sensationalist about it. Well, but, that's how ooh. the media's reported this one. So they're basically it's, saying you, football players will get this kind of that brain is, That is damage. not what the researchers are saying. Okay. Let me be clear about that. But that, that's so, what the media is saying, at least. That's what the media is reporting this as, because they're looking at the sample size, and they're saying, well, 96% of them had CTE. They were football players. So okay. 96% of football players get CTE. Fair enough. Here's the bias. Sure. There's a sample bias here. The people who donate their brains to this sort of study are the sort of people who are already concerned about the signs mm. and symptoms emerging late yeah, in life. Yeah, that makes sense. Or okay. their families are concerned about these signs right, and like, symptoms. Right, they're what's going on? Mm. Let's look yeah. at this. Not Because remember, okay. convincing someone to donate their brain to an autopsy after death is a big thing. Right. So the sort of brains they get are from people who are concerned about this and right. want confirmation that they so had CT. It is a self-selecting yeah. group yeah. sample. It's group. a self-selecting group. It's sample. really good that you pointed that out because I totally jumped on the bag wagon. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, an... football players get brain damage. <laughs> and that's, that's the difficulty with all these studies we do, right? So often there's like a, a serious hidden bias towards even, even the sample group. And it's yeah. important to look at those things. Okay. So, yeah. So it's an incredibly strong bias, but at the same time, it's still really striking. Right. Just the fact they can find 96, well, 96% of this brains, 87 brains. Right. 91 brains. 87 brains with it. Right, okay. 91 brains total. Yeah. So either way, there's a lot of of people with CTE. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And as a bit of a Canadian concern, um, hockey players, the concern has been increasing for for CTE as well. There haven't been any studies of this nature, this size done on that, but... It's absolutely a concern as well. Um, that's pretty much the result of this study. Interesting. Um, there's a lot of really important research, um, including, as I mentioned earlier, trying to develop techniques um, for diagnosing living patients. Right. That seems like a huge one. Um, this research group currently has a big call out for um, middle-aged men who have never had any sort of contact sports. Okay. Like have never participated in any of those. Uh, if you want a free trip to Boston. You can get your brain scanned by them. Wow. And the other interesting conclusion, which they say is early evidence, but they were looking at the positions that these players played. Oh, yeah. I bet mm. that would make a big difference. Yeah. yeah. And they tended to be defensive, which 
the researchers took as this could be um, evidence that minor repetitive head injuries Mm -hmm. are the real cause of this. So even head injuries that are less than a concussion, head injuries that don't have the symptoms of concussion, but consistently happen, could be the key risk factor. So these things things may be adding up, even though they don't present as regular concussions exactly that's yeah that's and that's the terrifying thought right absolutely and you can see that with hockey too yeah wow yeah yeah cool absolutely okay well that's it for this week we'll have links to all those studies we talked about and more in this episode's show notes those are as usual at doubleblindscience.com We hope you've enjoyed our adventure in this week's science news. Check back next week for two new and exciting stories and week two of Kelsey on Double Blind. Um, Did you see something in the news that you'd like us to cover? Maybe a headline that seems too good to be true or a story that nobody's explained clearly enough? Please give us a shout by email at stories at doubleblindscience.com or tweet us. Be careful which words you use, though. Uh, We are at doubleblindsci. That's all for this week. See you next week. Thanks. choices as for activities or things to do it's like well i guess i'm gonna count how long i'm peeing for no you've never done that no really (laughs) i I assumed that maybe it was just a weird guy thing because standing at a urinal is such a strange well yeah i mean you know i usually right i I don't usually take out my phone when i'm at a urinal so i find myself i often i often do read twitter when i'm at a urinal (laughs) it depends on the pants i'm wearing i'm gonna know sorry (laughs) 